The Sunday following the collapse of two dams in Libya, causing the death of thousands of people in the ensuing floods, is not the time I would have chosen to read the story of Israel crossing the Red Sea on dry land while the Egyptian army was drowned. So if you're tempted to make analogies between the people who died last week in the flooding of the Libyan city of Derna and Pharaoh's army that was on its way to capture the departing Israelites and return them to slavery in Egypt, resist that temptation. When we hear that God delivered the people of Israel from Pharaoh's army, we may wonder, so why doesn't God do that for everyone? Namely, miraculously deliver us from our problems. It's not a new question, and it's one the people of Israel doubtless asked many times during their enslavement in Egypt. And as we'll hear in the coming weeks, it's a question they also asked for months and years, even following their miraculous deliverance, described in today's first lesson from Exodus 14. And while there are many aspects of the answer to that question that we don't know, what we can say is that God has miraculously delivered us from our chief problem, that is, our sin that alienates us from God and sin's wages, namely, death. It's easy for us to take that for granted, to focus instead on the problems we most want deliverance from, which may be real and serious problems. But we do need continual reminding that A, God has delivered us from the sin and death from which we can't deliver ourselves, and B, that God cared for Israel but he didn't deliver them from all of their problems. And so the presence of problems in our lives does not mean that God doesn't exist or that he doesn't care about us. Instead, we can thank him for the miraculous deliverance that we have received from him in the form of salvation from sin, guilt, and death through faith in our Savior, Jesus Christ. As an aside, the way that Jesus is described in the Gospel of Matthew often parallels the way that Moses is described in the book of Exodus through Deuteronomy. And if you'd like to learn more about those parallels, you can do that by reading a book called The New Moses, a Mathean Topology, by Dale Allison, who teaches at Princeton Seminary just down the street. The Heidelberg Catechism, a Reformed Catechism published in 1563, begins with this question. What is your only comfort in life and in death? The answer, that I am not my own, but belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. That answer echoes the words of Romans 14, verses 7 and 8 in today's second lesson, in which Paul writes, We do not live to ourselves, and we do not die to ourselves. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we 
are the Lord's. Whatever problems we're facing at the moment, even matters of life and death, we can be confident that we belong to God, that he cares for us, and that he has, in fact, delivered us from our biggest problems. With that perspective in mind, we can face our problems courageously and unafraid. Knowing that we are the Lord's gives us a bedrock security that undergirds all that we say and do and allows us to tackle problems from which others might shrink. As Paul writes in Romans 8, verses 31 and 32, If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And yet, having been delivered from sin and death at great cost to the God who delivered us, having been received by God into his own family through holy baptism, and having been forgiven our countless and loathsome sins, we still have a tendency to take these things for granted, to fail to trust God, to refuse to extend to other redeemed sinners the grace that God has graciously extended to us. That's why Jesus' parable in today's gospel lesson is a timely and a necessary reminder. It stars one of my very favorite characters in the Bible, the man popularly known as the unforgiving slave. And I like him not because of his laudable character traits, none of which are evident in the parable. I like him for the same reason I like Jonah, because I can relate to the man. He reminds me of myself. Like him, I like to receive mercy, but I'm not nearly so keen on extending it to others. And perhaps you know of others for whom that may also be true. Jesus tells the parable in answer to Peter's question about how many times he should forgive a serial offender. Peter is another favorite Bible character of mine because he asks the questions that I have, that many of us have. Like, how often should I forgive? This is getting a little tiring. In other words, what's my obligation here? What must I do to fulfill the law? To which Jesus responds with a parable that helps Peter and us see just what a wide ocean of God's mercy we live in. We can be generous in extending mercy and forgiveness because we have received them in abundance from God. Which does not mean that we need to tolerate irresponsible or sinful behavior, but that we should be eager to reconcile with the sinner and to do as much as we can to help them, even if our help is not well received. It should go without saying that slavery was part and parcel of the Greco-Roman society in which Jesus lived, which doesn't mean that he was condoning it in his parable any more than he was condoning torture when he mentions it at the end of Matthew 18. 
He was simply describing realistically the world that was very familiar to him and to his disciples. We are the Lord's. We belong to God, from whom we have received rich and abundant mercy. What a luxury it is to be called a child of such a merciful, generous, and loving God. And what a luxury it is to be able to extend that mercy, generosity, and love to one another. To know that as God's children, we are not going to run out of those things, and we don't need to hoard them. What a luxury it is to be able to forgive someone to set them free out of the abundant freedom that God has given us, rather than having to nurse our grievance and milk them for whatever advantage we can gain. The writer Anne Lamott has compared refusing to forgive someone to taking rat poison and expecting the rat to die. Our lack of forgiveness hurts us too. And yet God has given us the advantage beyond compare of to being his children at home in his kingdom of plenty. Thanks be to our gracious and generous God for calling us his children, for taking on himself not only the responsibility of judgment, but also for delivering us from our biggest problem the sin that would otherwise condemn us.